Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Get Rich Slow Club podcast is a collaboration between Tash Etchman from Tash Invest and Anna Christina from Perla. The Get Rich Slow Club acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land we record on. From coast to coast, across land, waters, and communities, we pay our respects to elders past, present, and emerging. Any advice is general and does not consider your financial situation, needs, or objectives, so consider whether it's appropriate for you. Welcome to the Get Rich Slow Club podcast, where we take you from beginner to confident investor, where we can teach you everything you need to know about investing. So come get rich slow with us. Hi, Anna. How are you? I'm great, Tash. How are you? I'm very excited because in today's episode, we are explaining what the stock market is and all about the investing jargon that you are just too afraid to ask about. We're going to start off with the stock market. The stock market, stock exchange, equity market, shares market, lots of words, but they all usually refer to the same thing. The stock market consists of exchanges in which stocks, shares, and other financial securities of publicly held companies are bought and sold. If you haven't listened to our other episodes, I highly recommend it. If this is the first one you're jumping in, it might seem a bit overwhelming. Tash is totally right. Check out our other episodes because they are basically the building blocks of understanding everything about investing. So getting back to the stock market, in the US, the main exchanges are the New York Stock Exchange and the NASDAQ. Whereas here in Australia, we have the ASX, which is short for Australian Securities Exchange. And here's a fun fact. The first stock exchange was the London Stock Exchange, which began at a coffee house in 1773. I wonder if they had flat whites back then. What a good question. That seems like so, so long ago. Who knows? I have to Google that later. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> The stock market is a secure and regulated environment where businesses can sell shares of their company. This allows companies to raise capital and for individuals to have ownership through investments in the company. This might sound a little bit overwhelming, but don't worry, we're going to dive into this and make it simple for you. Some of the things to think about is the stock market is a place where you can buy big company names. So you can actually be a shareholder of Apple or Alphabet, which is Google or Meta, which is Facebook, which all trade on the NASDAQ. If you want Australian companies, there is Commonwealth Bank, Telstra, Woolworths, and all of those listed on the ASX. 
So often countries have their own specific stock exchanges, but don't let this confuse you. In Australia, you can still access some of the biggest exchanges across the world and many companies through your broker who facilitate this purchase. And we'll talk about that a little bit further on in the podcast. But how does the market actually fluctuate? The share price of a company can fluctuate depending on the economy, the performance of the company and other factors. This is very normal and very part of the economic cycle. The stock price can change for quite a few reasons, including company performance, industry and market trends, news and events, big media releases, stuff like that, supply and demand and market sentiment. And we've seen this quite a bit, especially when wars are breaking out, COVID happening, tweets that get get tweeted. So we know that the market can go up and down based on what's happening around us. But the idea is we don't want to get swept up in all that fear mongering that's happening. We know that historically there are highs and lows. This is very, very normal. And sometimes it even takes 10 years to correct a market downturn. So it's just normal to have this along the way. And that's just part of this long investing journey that we talk about. It's not about getting rich quick. You know, it's a long, slow journey that we know. So don't stress out about it. How do you actually buy something on the stock market though? That's a fantastic question. So to buy something on the stock market, um, you need to use a broker. And a broker is the one that facilitates the buying and selling of equity. So often you hear buying and selling, trading, all of that kind of means the same thing. Often there are low-cost options available where you can access the ASX or even the U.S. Stock Exchange, and um, and that's a place where you can purchase them. I know in earlier episodes I've referred to it as kind of like the chocolate store analogy, but I'd just like to highlight that what you buy is more important than where you buy it. So picking a broker is a big decision, but it's more important to focus on the actual investments you're buying. So for example, if you decide you want a chocolate bar, which is a share, you can buy so many different chocolates in so many different ways. You can buy an individual bar, you can buy a box of favorites, and you can buy them from somewhere like a petrol station, which might be more convenient. You can buy them from Woolies or Coles on your regular grocery shop or you can buy them in bulk at Costco. And it doesn't matter which shop you pick to buy your chocolate. What matters is actually what chocolate you're getting. So if you don't like caramel and you're buying a caramel chocolate bar, you're not going to be happy no matter where you buy it from. That's a great analogy because I think a lot of people just get really confused about what broker they should use because there's a lot of things to consider, right? There's fees, there's access to what exchange, you know, is it US or Australian, the ease of use, whether it's chess sponsored or so forth. But I know you and I have talked quite a bit and we've used different brokers throughout our life cycle. So you're not stuck to one, right, Tash? Yeah. So the first one I picked um, was just to touch my bank account because it was easy and my dad said it was safe and I didn't really know what was going on. So I was like, okay, safe, easy. Let's go with that one. I think it was whatever ANZ was called back then. I think it was E-Trade. And then I wanted to find the cheapest and best broker in that way. So I signed up to Self-Wealth. I had Comsec for a little while as well. Superhero I had an account for as well. And then I moved to Perla. And the reason I like Perla is because I want the easiest strategy ever. And Perla has some great automation features. But initially I focused on fees and now I'm more focusing on the other features of brokers that will help me out. But where where did you start and where are you now? Oh, that's a good question. So back in Canada, I started with my bank as well and they signed me up and they charged me 2.5% in fees, which at the what? time I thought was that low. That is huge. Oh my God. Apparently Canada has the highest fees um, when it comes to that stuff. And that's uh, massive. I, didn't, I didn't know that that was a thing, right? It, 2% sounds low. Uh, who would have thunk? So uh, I did research and I found a different brokerage. They're called Quest Trade. And um, I've been with them since. Pretty simple. I would prefer something a bit simpler because they're more 
more focused on trade. But for right now, they do the job because I don't really invest in Canada anymore. Here in Australia, I did similar to you. I jumped over to uh, Self Wealth, was with them. And then when I heard about Perler, I was blown away because I wanted to do the whole automate my investing. And it was really annoying to get money in my bank account, transfer it to my broker, wait till it hits the broker's account, then invest it. And um, I like to set and forget. So I automate my investing through Perler. And then as we know, I work there now. So so I moved over to Perler thinking, hey, they actually have the features that I need. Yeah. I was really amazed by Perler as well. I joined like their initial, what was it? The beta, the beta, beta. I never know how to say that word. The beta launch. Beta, yeah, you, yeah. Can, you can say both. Beta, beta. Beta, beta. Because um, I loved how they were focusing on long-term investing. And I've kind of gotten a bit carried away with looking at the daily fluctuations as well. So making a broker that was focused on long-term investing and had features for long-term investors and all the other amazing things that they do, I loved. And I am sponsored by them on Instagram and TikTok, but I do love them. And I love that they're one of the only companies that actually trades in line with their values. So there's a little Perler feel for the day. Yeah, yeah. We didn't mean to make it a whole Perler speech, but obviously there are features that benefit us and that we think are awesome for long-term investing. Yeah, they definitely fit this investment strategy. But back to what we were talking about, what can you actually buy on the stock exchange? Ooh, great question. Uh, so we talked a little bit about types of investments in our second episode. So you, ha- if you haven't listened to that, please check it out. But the Coles notes is that on the stock exchange, you can typically buy and sell, or it gets referred to as trading, individual companies, bonds, ETFs, REITs, gold ETFs. There's a whole bunch of things that you can choose from, but let's just define what ETFs is again, because we talk about them quite a bit. Yeah. ETFs are great. They are my favorite. ETFs are exchange traded funds. They are funds that are traded on the stock exchange, which just means they're bought and sold on the stock exchange. Often they track an index and they're composed of many companies, meaning you are purchasing some very well-performing companies, but also some maybe not well-performing companies. The idea is that you have a bucket of lots of different stocks and aren't just betting on a few to perform well. So a lot of ETFs, like if you're buying the S&P 500, have 500 companies. I think there's like diversified ones that have thousands and thousands of companies, which is huge. But back to the chocolate analogy, the ETFs would be like our favorites box of chocolates. There's a mixture of them, lots of difference. They suit lots of different people's preferences. Sometimes the dark chocolate is tastiest and no one likes the white chocolate. So those may not be the best performing chocolates, but it's better to not put all of your eggs in one basket. So having them all is a safer bet and it spreads your risk or diversifies your risk. Let's talk a little bit more about dividends. What are dividends? So dividends are payments made to the shareholder by the company in either cash or additional shares. They're usually paid quarterly or annually and can be deposited either into your account or held by your share registry when you have enough to purchase additional shares in the form of a dividend investment plan, often referred to as a DRIP. Dividends are also included in the ETF's total return alongside the price change or capital gains. So you can kind of see it holistically as the capital growth rate. And I think we mentioned previously, but ShareSite is a really good product to use if you want to actually see both your dividends and the capital gains and exchange of ETFs or or shares that you're invested in. Yeah, ShareSite's really good because it shows you the total return and it also does all the annoying franking credit um, stuff for you as well. But I think we'll talk about franking credits very soon. Before we talk about franking credits, though, let's talk about what are Chess sponsored brokers. Chess stands for Clearinghouse Electronic Subregister System. What a mouthful, which is the system used by the ASX, the Australian Stock Exchange, to record shareholdings and manage the settlement of share transactions. Having Chess sponsored shares means that you will have a direct ownership of each share and their responsible share registries. 
So this is quite unique to Australia. Other countries use different central clearinghouses for securities and transactions, but um, chess is very unique to Australia. So the basic function of these systems is to facilitate the efficient and secure settlement of securities transaction. So in Australia, there's two kind of ways. You can have chess sponsored or a custodian model of a broker. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Chess sponsored means you have direct ownership of your shares, but if you buy through a custodian model, um, you just have legal ownership. When a company goes bankrupt, you become a secured creditor and you actually have to chase up your investments if you're using a custodian broker. So chess is really cool because you register it on the share registry and you have ownership and you can move it around yourself and you don't need the broker once you've actually bought those shares. But with a custodian broker, you have legal ownership and you might have to chase it up. This isn't just a hypothetical risk. This has happened in the past where funds and brokers have collapsed in Australia and clients have had to wait years to try and get what's left of their investments. There are, however, some pros and cons between the whole chess and custodian. The custodian model allows you to invest smaller amounts, whereas for chess investments, you need to invest a larger amount, around $500. So there are pros and cons, but it is just something to be aware of when it comes to your risk tolerance and also your goals. Yes. A lot of people might choose a custodian broker because they do offer cheaper fees. But personally, for me, I think it's worth paying a little bit higher of a fee to invest using a chess sponsored broker just to protect the larger amounts of money that I am planning to invest. But I have used custodian models and micro investing platforms in the past. I think the benefit of micro investing is, like I said, for smaller amounts. So for example, if you have a kid that wants to start investing and they want to like learn and just put in $2 or $5 at a time, that might be a really good way to teach them. And again, one of the things that we talk about is just getting into the market. Yeah, it's a really good way just to test and see and like build up your strategy. So you might lose a little bit of money or it might not be the most optimal ideal place to put your money. But like I started with micro investing for a bit as well. I don't know if you did, but yeah, I've used those like cheaper brokers just to get in. And now that I'm investing larger amounts of money, I've focused a little bit more on the security of that. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense, but it's worth noting. Yeah. Um, we spoke about share registries. What is the magical share registry? Oh, the fantastic share <laughs> registry. You might get some papers in the mail and wonder what they are and just ignore them. But really, the share registry is quite important. They're an organization that on behalf of the company manages the registry of shareholders for that company. What they do is record changes to share ownership, issue shareholding statements, manage your dividend payments and bonuses and rights issues. And what happens is when you purchase an ETF, you will have to sign up to the share registry on their website in order to create an account and be able to track where your dividends go and so forth. Brokers don't manage this, so um, you do have to sign them up. And now, fantastically, is fantastically even a word? You don't have to yes. get paper in the mail. Um, they're doing it more online, which is fantastic. We're saving some trees. 
They say they do it online, but then you pick the online preference and then they send you a letter in the mail to confirm your online preference, <laughs> which I find very interesting. It's like two-factor uh, authentication via yeah. snail mail. <laughs> I love I love the security, but sometimes it's almost too secure. Um, there are three main share registries in Australia, Computer Shares, Link Market Services, and Boardroom. These are the companies that send you all of those share letters and it's so important to read them. I ignored mine for a little while and I didn't realize I didn't have my bank account details linked to some of my shares. So I wasn't getting paid my dividends and to get them paid back, I had to pay an admin fee of $25. And it was like, I think it was a hundred dollar dividend. And then a quarter of that was taken by an admin fee. No. So read all your letters. And if you're wondering which share registry is yours. Like when you buy a share, get the letter, just read what's on the letter because it can be very confusing. The other thing is if you're setting up any kind of dividends, you want to do that through the share registry. That's quite important. Mm -hmm. You can do your um, dividend reinvestment plans through there. Yes. Speaking of dividends, there are taxes associated with investing. In Australia, the way you get taxed on shares depends on a few different factors, including whether you're a resident or non-resident for tax purposes, how long you've held the shares, and whether you receive any dividends or capital gains from the shares. The first one is capital gains tax. If you sell your shares for more than you paid for them, you may need to pay capital gains tax on the capital gain. If you've held the shares for more than 12 months, you may be eligible for a 50% discount on the tax that you owe. If you're a non-resident, you may also be subject to non-resident withholding tax on any capital gains that you make. So this was important for me to know because I was a non-resident for a while and then I got permanent residency and citizenship. This might not be applicable to other Australians, but there are a lot of people who come to Australia and really need to consider those things. But on another note, that 50% discount is pretty awesome if you're all about long-term buy and hold strategy, which we talked about in last episode. Definitely. It's the government's incentive to try and make you buy and hold your investments longer term because it works. Yep. The second way you might get taxed is through dividend income. You receive dividends from your shares. They are generally subject to tax. However, you might receive a franking dividend, which we'll talk about next. It's important to note that taxation laws can be very complex and the information provided here is a general overview only. It's always a good idea to seek professional advice from a qualified tax accountant or financial advisor to ensure you're meeting your tax obligations and taking advantage of any tax benefits that may be available to you. The ATO actually has a really cool like help website if you want help with this. So you can ask questions and ATO people will answer them for you as well. But back to franking credits. What are they? So in Australia, franking credits are tax credits that are attached to dividends paid by the Australian company. And these credits represent the tax the company has already paid on the profits before distributing them as a dividend to shareholders. So under the Australian dividend system, shareholders can use these franking credits to offset the amount of tax they owe on the dividends they receive, which is pretty cool. It's very cool, but it can also be very confusing. I think the first thing we have to understand is the tax rates. So in Australia, we have marginal tax rates. Depending on your income, you are taxed different tax rates, but companies are all taxed the flat rate of 30%. So for example, if your personal tax rate is 30%, dividends are pretty much tax-free as you get a credit for the 30% tax that the company has already paid. If you are a high income earner and your personal tax rate is 45%, you'll pay 15% tax on dividends after taking away the tax credit of 30% paid by the company. Franking credits are really fun for pensioners or people on lower income. So it can be good for a retirement strategy because you will get that money back on your tax return because you haven't been charged the tax at 30%. 
And to make it even more confusing, dividends aren't always completely franked. So you might get a dividend and it's only 45% franked, which makes it a lot more complex. So you can use ShareSite to show the different franking credits, or you can use a franking credit calculator as well to make it easier. Or do what I do, have ShareSite, just send the report to your accountant and they can do it all for you. Yes. Oh my gosh. Accountants are underrated. They are mm. magic. <laughs> Especially when you start yeah, having capital gains and different stuff like that. Franking credits, just back to that quickly, are designed to prevent double taxation of company profits. So you might wondering why do we have this in Australia? Without franking credits, the company would pay a tax on its profits and then shareholders would also pay tax on dividends they receive from those profits. The franking credit system ensures that company profits are taxed only once at a company level. This is something companies do to try and make their shares or their dividends a little bit more attractive. And it is a benefit to investing in Australia because it's not something that happens outside of Australia that I know of or that benefits us anyway. So definitely something to consider when you're looking at ASX first. Um, S&P 500 returns, for example. That's what I was actually going to say is that franking credits is quite unique to Australia. Um, and so if it works for your tax kind of situation, it might benefit you. And there are some ETFs that I know of that kind of focus a little bit more on, on dividend investing as well. So just something to consider, you know, <laughs> not advice. <laughs> Yeah. Franking credits do take a while to get, like to wrap your head around, um, like Google examples and see the workaround through it. But I was very confused initially and it doesn't always completely make sense. But I think if you're confused, have a look at your tax rate and how the tax rate system works with the marginal tax rates and then try and apply franking credits to that. But don't stress if you don't get it straight away. Use ShareSite or anything else and your accountant can help you. I wonder how many people just have like glazed eyes listening to this part of uh, the episode. <laughs> yeah. I need to like draw a little picture. <laughs> It's, it, it is easier to visually see it, right? It's easier yeah. easier to visualize it. So um, the point is they exist. Take a look at them. So yeah, shall we move on to some actionable steps that people might be interested in taking this week? Yes, let's get rid of the analysis paralysis. Today's action is just find a broker and sign up to it. It doesn't matter which one. It doesn't matter if you make the wrong choice. Just find one and sign up to it. Easy peasy. And if you want to be a little bit more adventurous, you can go try to figure out how franking credits work, but <laughs> don't yeah. be overwhelmed. <laughs> that is advanced level stuff. Now time for our listener responses and listener questions. Check out the Get Rich Slow Club Instagram to find our question of the week and for your chance to be featured on the show. Here are some of the responses from question of the week. Hi, Tash and Anna. It's Emma from The Broke Generation. My investing strategy at the moment is pretty ad hoc because I'm still fairly newly self-employed and I don't have the luxury of knowing exactly how much is going to come in and when. So what I'm doing instead is I'm contributing a teeny tiny amount from each invoice or payment that comes into my business into my Perla auto-invest account. And then when that hits $850, Perla will auto-invest it for me into my handful of chosen ETFs. I'm also focusing partly on investing money back into my business and into my personal education because that grows my business because that helps me build wealth as well. I've also had to sort of start confronting a lot of my own money stuff around money and investing and wealth now that I've been doing it for a little while. I found it super easy at the beginning because it was new and it was exciting. And of course, the market was doing really well a few years ago. But now that novelty has worn off and we've started to see economic hardship and stuff come into play, I think it's really important that we reflect on how investing is making us feel and what blocks or biases might be coming up against. The more I know about business and companies and how to analyze stocks, the more I like ETFs, index funds. 
I originally started with shares and I got about $5,000. I then realized I had a really good job, which I could save lots of money quite quickly. So I got a deposit together within about 12 to 18 months for an investment property. After that, I kind of kept out my borrowing capacity as a single person. So I moved back into shares again and started buying a lot more shares at the bottom of the COVID dip. Since then, I have been putting money across every fortnight, which is about 30% of my pay. And then once a month, I put it into my Pella account and buy more shares in two Vanguard ETFs. I keep doing that and I'll keep doing that for this year. However, next year I plan on having a job change and that'll decrease my income probably quite significantly. So towards the start of next year, I will funnel it more in towards a a savings account for an emergency fund because I don't actually have one, which with my job currently is okay, but I'll do that in preparation for a new job. Thank you to everyone who responded last week. We love hearing all of your responses, so please go and check it out. Yes, we love hearing from you. I think that's it for today. As always, thank you, Tash. That was beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us this week, and we'll see you next week to talk all about more fun investing things. Yay, investing things. All right, thanks, Tash. Yay, bye. (laughs) Bye. Thanks so much for joining us in this episode. If you found it helpful, feel free to leave us a rating or review or share with a friend. Make sure to follow us on social at Get Rich Slow Club, or you can follow Tash at Tash Invests or me at Anna Christina. This show was brought to you by Natasha Etchman, who is an authorized representative, 12-99881 of Guideway Financial Services, AFSL 420-367 and Perla who is an authorised representative, 128-1540 of Sanlam Private Wealth, AFSL 337-927. Knowledge is power, especially when it comes to investing. So make sure you check out our financial services guides and read the product disclosure statement and target market determination for any investments you're considering. See our show notes for more info.